Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Second Take Tuesday on Wesson Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Second Take Tuesday where we take a break 24 hours after hopping on the mic the first time post-Panthers loss. We take a breather. We try to figure out exactly what went wrong. We dive a little bit into the plays themselves on this day. We want to hear from you as well. 704-570-9610. You can text us. 704-570-9610. You can even tweet at us if you want to our show handle at Weston Walker at West Bryant underscore 72 at HTB underscore Josh and you can find me on Twitter at Walker mail apparently the first hour we put up on the podcast page did well we had how many comments on the Facebook page you posted that to Fitty 200 it was over 200 I got to give myself some credit. My, uh, of course head, he does. Lead off the show with it. The headline of my article was going to get the, the Panther Nation riled up, and uh, they had a field day last night trying to figure out who to blame. You're saying you went with the clickbait, who to blame, send, watch the fire ensue. Yeah, I mean, I pay attention to the way ESPN, TMZ, how they word some of their articles, and uh, yeah, it got the job done. For sure. No, it was good. You can go check that out. I don't even... Not even too sure that we had a Facebook page, to be honest with you. I thought we did, but I didn't know we were posting it to Facebook still. Quit but checking your MySpace, Walker. It's 2023. I'm still rearranging my top eight. <laughs> Tom, Tom is out, and I've had some real breakups because of the friendships that I'm not allowed to be in the MySpace top eight. We're off and rolling, too, because we can see in the text uh, in the text chain there are a lot of people talking about candy. We opened it up with a Twizzler conversation as well. Apparently, Twizzlers were a part of the conversation with Jeff, and so that's usually our thing. We usually talk about the candy and Mac and Bone. They'll do that as well. Twizzlers up here, man. I can't think of a candy that I would least like. Like I, Twizzlers just are totally at the bottom of the totem pole for me. Yeah, I could see that. I'm trying to think of other candy. There's plenty of them, but that's up there. I just don't if, – if you're going to cheat – and, you know, Jeff did a great job getting on Ph.D., losing a ton of weight and fast. Same thing as Willie P. A lot of people have gotten on Ph.D. There's a little uh, another plug for you. But Twizzlers is not the cheat candy I'm going to roll with. Fitty, you made a face like that was a bad take. You're saying you like Twizzlers? Oh, yeah. I mean, in a worse candy to cheat with. I don't know. Dots, Almond Joys. Um, Those aren't great either. Those are in that category. I'm trying to think what else. I want you to call You're about to come with something that's that's good that people like. Yeah. What no. is it? No candy that you can think of? In no, that I mean, I mean, Dots is is the worst candy maybe ever invented. Candy corn and Peeps, the oh, holiday candies no. are the candy worst. Candy corn, don't you slander yeah, candy, candy corn. Candy corn is trash. Uh, You're we'll, trash. We'll, trash. We'll, ha- we'll have this conversation. How much cake did you eat in October? Day? Just just one piece. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, we seem surprised. That's I am. Thing. We five minutes in the show. You call me fat again? No, I did not. I just figured <laughs> half the cake would be gone. <laughs> that doesn't. That sounds indirect. All right, we're off and rolling. We got insults hurled Fitty's way. Of course, it's going to be a great day when that happens to open up the show. Mr. Bus Driver, open up the doors. Let's get off the bus. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! 
Sorry to Spence writing in. Walker, I'd rather talk about candy and ice cream for the entire show than to spend any more time talking about the team on Moorhead Street. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of people feel that way. But unfortunately, we should talk a little more about the Carolina Panthers. We did get some comments from Frank Reich about the status of Bryce Young on whether he'll play this weekend and how much he'll practice this week. Where here, Here's what the head coach had to say. I mean, I really don't know. I, I talked to him Sunday for a little bit. You know, he said he's felt better every day. So I, I'm encouraged by that. You know, he said I you know, feel better every day. So I think we'll just have to see how it goes. We have a practice tomorrow. He said he's not sure if he's going to practice on Wednesday. Last week, we started to figure out he wasn't going to suit up probably around Thursday before it was confirmed on Friday. What do you think the chances are, Wes, that Bryce Young will play in this game against Minnesota? Uh, It doesn't sound good so far. I mean, everything that you're hearing, everything that you're seeing at this point, it seems like he will miss uh, another game. And so that would be two weeks. Without seeing Bryce Young in the lineup, I personally want to see him back, but I also want to see him back healthy. But right now, it doesn't sound too great that he's going to play against Minnesota. Yeah, how badly do you want him out there because of the opponent? You just want him out there because you want to see the number one overall quarterback. You want to see him play. Some fans don't. But how much of it is because the opponent allowed 400 passing yards to Justin Herbert? This is a team that allows you to beat them deep because they blitz so often. For me, it's really hard for me to get a grip on this game. West because Brian Flores can dial up the pressure. He seems to be a mad scientist with Minnesota right now, just trying to manufacture some pressure. I think he leaned too much into the blitz against the Chargers. Hey, if Justin Herbert is just shredding you while you send extra help, you think you would drop back normal coverage and just have four guys rush after the passer. But with the Carolina Panthers, you might be able to get pressure just with the four guys rushing anyway. If you bring a blitz, odds are they won't be able to pick it up. Can Bryce Young be able to beat them over the top? It's hard for me to get a handle on this game. Yeah, more so me. I just want to see the the story continue. I want to keep adding chapters to the book, so to speak. So I want to see him play regardless of who the opponent is. Yeah, definitely Minnesota sitting there 27th in total defense is definitely an advantageous situation for him if he's able to get out there and capitalize on that. But as far as just wanting to see him play because of the opponent, I just mainly want to see Bryce play because I want to see his story continue to develop as this season marches on. Yeah, and with Minnesota, you look at where they rank in total yards allowed so far. They have allowed quite a bit. The Justin Herbert performance really did hurt them as well. So if you look at them, they are 6th in the NFL and the sixth worst I should say when it comes to total yards allowed so far yards per game because they you know there's not been any bye weeks or anything like that they're still pretty far down there on the list in terms of ranking them compared to the other defenses in the National Football League hopefully that's a good sign for Andy Dalton if he starts but especially Bryce Young and there was an article on ESPN where they got the opinions of some NFL front office execs ranking Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, what they've seen from the rookies drafted in the top five so far. And I was pleased to see that a lot of the execs see Bryce Young, a lot of the skills that you like from him coming out of college, and that the team around him just hasn't been performing all that well. So there might be some people, there are a lot of fans right now, Wes, that aren't thrilled with the way Bryce is playing himself. 
they're not thrilled with the selection. Just a couple games into his career, three games into the Panthers season so far. But some of the comments that we've gotten from NFL execs, you see the intangibles come to the surface. An NFC exec said he's got a great feel for the game. He's got a quick release. It translates to the NFL game. His ability to throw off platform will help him. The evaluator noted a 15-yard throw to DJ Chark in week two versus the Saints. He said these are plays that he can make, but there's got to be enough help around him. And I'm glad that people in the NFL that are a part of front offices, sometimes they're not very smart. But they've been at least in the business for a while, so hopefully it comes with some kind of value. I would say that's a good sign that other people see there are things Bryce is showing that can show he can be a good QB. It's just the first two weeks, those were bad matchups defensively, and the help around him, it's not going so well with the surrounding talent. Well, of course, there's data out there. We talked about last week the chart that showed that Bryce is the best in the league at connecting with receivers on open throws, but the problem is they haven't been getting open that much. And then also the fact that he's played against two top 10 defenses in his first two outings with what we saw this offensive line give up against the Seahawks and these guys were uh, near the bottom of the NFL. What do we think would have happened if Andy Dalton would have played against the Saints or the Falcons? So uh, that's the thing, fans. Sometimes they're going to take and make their own narratives and not look at things sometimes for uh, what they are when they dig in and they're just going to automatically dismiss Bryce because either his size, they didn't want him at quarterback in the first place or whatever the case may be or just look at the stat sheet alone and not kind of figure out the fact that the competition that he's going against and the fact that he has done well when the opportunities presented itself for him to do well. Yeah, and if you look at some of the other comments here, you brought up the size. Somebody did say he feels small when you watch him. It doesn't take much for him to go down, a high-ranking personnel man said. Personnel man said, I'm having trouble speaking today. It's part of the radio business. I'm supposed to be good at it. I'm having a little trouble today. But yes, a high-ranking personnel decision maker did say that Bryce Young goes down easily because of his size. I know that's something that we've had a problem with but the early grade is a C because Young doesn't have anywhere to throw the football you see him going through something that he's never done in his life which is lose lose a lot at the beginning of the season go 0-2 and quite literally not have a win to speak of those are some of the things that Bryce Young is battling right now and he seems like a guy that can battle adversity well enough to get through all of this yeah that's one of the things you loved about him the most and I talked about that in the draft process his football character this is a young man that already is dealing with adversity with his size alone and being doubted but just he's a guy that he's never going to get down on his teammates you don't see him throwing guys under the bus you don't see him getting even visibly frustrated for the most part he just jogs off the field and comes back and gives it another go we saw him hit the training table uh, one time in Atlanta but that's just frustration with himself and not really anybody else so I think football character is the big thing you have to take from him and the fact that he'll bounce back. All right, so Bagel Guy wrote in, Wes, in the NFL, you also have to throw wide receivers open, 50-50 balls. It really seems like Bryce being a little too cautious. And I can agree with that to some degree. Like, I would like Bryce Young to throw the football, even if there isn't somebody wide open. Even in the NFL, I... I want to get this clear, too. When people say hey, you got to throw guys open, the windows are a lot tighter. Yes, I think we all understand that. Even by those measures, even by what open means in the NFL, sure. they are not open, exactly. which some yeah. people seem to not be comprehending to you know very well. 
you're, that graph that everybody has been pointing to when a wide receiver is open, Bryce Young has been on the money. You just haven't had anybody nearly as much open as what we've seen in the uh, other NFL teams. Bryce Young is hitting those guys, even in some of those spaces that are considered open in the NFL. Like, that's the thing. Andy Dalton took more shots. I would like Bryce Young to take more shots. 100%. That's a fair criticism. But it's tough sledding for a guy playing in his first two games with more pressures allowed on pace, more pressures allowed than any other NFL team in history. That's what's going on with the Panthers' offensive line as mm. it currently stands. And but on it was all good. It was just a preseason, though, right? It was just a preseason. <laughs> that's remember what we were that? Hoping. Well, that's what we were yeah, hoping. Yeah, that's what we were. That. Well, that's yeah. not from you, but I'm just saying, fans. Everybody was just like, "Oh, it's just preseason. They'll get it together once the season starts." Well, nope. We were hoping. It held. You could point to me. I was. I was worried. Yeah. I was definitely worried. But the last regular season, they were good. Austin Corbett gone. That was a big factor. But they were a good offensive line. Yeah. Above average, not top five. But I think we had a good handle on how good they were. And it was just night and day based off what we saw this preseason and what they've shown so far. After that first half against Atlanta, where we all felt pretty good about them, nah, man, it's been awful ever since then. <laughs> yeah, it, it has. has. And, I, and, I, and I mean, that's the thing is that when you play a position that requires as much physicality as that, and after the first preseason game when they had the issues they had and they're having meetings and guys are cussing and fussing and carrying on, and then you come out and get whacked again when you play against the Giants, who we've seen a lot of teams haven't had many troubles blocking their front four. So I think that, you know, the, the position is so physical that it's very hard to turn it on or turn it off. Either you got it or you don't. Because if you come out there and you're thinking, oh, it's just preseason, you're going to get mopped, play in and play out. And we've seen that continue through the regular season. All right, there's some big picture convo with the Carolina Panthers and specifically Bryce Young. Let's go into the weeds a little bit. Second take Tuesday, we pick a few plays offensively and defensively that we think had a big impact on that contest against the Seahawks. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You can text us, 704-570-9610. Myron Goodman saying not having Austin Corbett is being way undervalued. Frank Reich did talk about Austin Corbett was not definitive on when he would return after hitting IR, but did say that he's doing everything he can to get back, and once he's back out there, he'll be effective for this offensive line. But we don't know. He'll be eligible after this Minnesota game. Are you surprised that Frank Reich doesn't know, Wes? <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked, man, because yeah. he just never knows. You know, head coaches, they're in on everything that their team does. They know every little nuance, especially when they're in the building. But he just never seems to know when guys are hurt or what's going on. Um, Chach Doctor also wrote in, Wes, was that Cody Rhodes? Question mark, question yeah, man. Mark. Yeah, Cody Rhodes, man. It's one of the best uh, theme songs in, in WWE, man. It's fire. I have no clue. I know you guys don't know, man. When Chach Doctor wrote that in, I thought, okay, is he being funny because is it a country song? Is he asking because you talked about you being a music savant? Or is that something else I don't know? And you answered it with the wrestling tale there. Yeah. I just never thought actors had their own theme music. Of course they do. Yeah, they do, man. That's part of the uh, lore. All of the great wrestlers have great entrance music. All so right. 
This is one of them. Fitty trying to bring an insult to the I table, of course. Oh, of course. Oh, I got to get him back. He called me fat five minutes into I the show. Not. <laughs> I did But when, when you said that, he said, no, I'm just surprised half the full cake wasn't gone yet. Yeah, that's, yeah, that one's tough. He's implying that I'm fat. <laughs> it's okay. Y'all came in swinging today, man. I don't know. It's Tuesday. We're, once we get to the War Cry Wednesday tomorrow, maybe we can start to bring the energy up a little bit more as the show goes on. But y'all are swinging at each other. Look, I'm just... <laughs> y'all, y'all tried to act like I was the one coming between your friendship, but you guys are doing it to yourselves. And I think this is just more evidence of that happening. Let's go to Second Take Tuesday. Talk about the big impact plays as we dig into the details. I'll go first and I'll actually go to the second half. There was a throw from Andy Dalton where this was not the first throw of the day, but I thought this one was particularly impressive. Two minutes to go left in the third quarter. Andy Dalton completed a pass to Adam Thielen on the left sideline for 23 yards. And I thought Andy Dalton rolling to his right, throwing across his body, escaping interior pressure initially. He did that a couple of times, Wes. That's the big no-no, right? Mm -hmm. Any QB that throws across your body, unless you're Pat Mahomes, don't do it. We saw that a couple of times from Andy Dalton. We even saw it once from Geno Smith, where there was a first down completion to DK Metcalf, I thought was also pretty impressive. But Andy Dalton, this just is one of the plays that you could point to and say he went out there, played really hard, and played effectively. Hooking up with Adam Thielen, who had a big old day, especially in the second half, where they were throwing, trying to get caught up with the Seahawks that had a second half explosion. I thought that was an excellent play, throwing across the body, rolling to his right and he had done that a couple of times picking up a third down by the way so it wasn't even just a free play first and ten let's see what happens that was a critical moment to continue to give your team life and I thought he did a good job of connecting I mean Andy Dalton all day long man he was just playing like a savvy veteran he knew look I'm not going to have a bunch of time to get back in the pocket and be able to throw the football I'm going to have to improvise I'm going to have to be all the way in my bag if I want to be able to survive this football game and so he was making plays any way that he could do that that play you gave is a great example of that and Dalton he was just a gamer for lack of a better term he was just a gamer out there on Sunday not a play that I pointed out but there was another one I I actually thought there were a couple of off-target throws to Miles Sanders there was one where Miles got a little frustrated there was an off-target throw to Jonathan Mingo once you go back and watch it it was because pressure was all in Andy Dalton's grill and you can understand why he was off-target but throwing to Miles he was used in the passing game. There was another one across body where I thought that was cr- not even across body, rolling to his left and then throwing it opposite direction with his right. He, he made some pretty impressive throws, no doubt about it. Yeah, and so I'll go to a, a positive offensive play in the second quarter, uh, round five minutes, third down and 10. And I thought that Pan- the Panthers did a good job of out coaching the Seahawks a little bit there. They won that rep because Seattle uh, guys going out in the secondary injuries, things of that nature. And I think someone had just gone out, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, they took advantage of that running a trip formation, trips. And uh, that was three receivers to one side for those who don't know. And so they used that uh, formation to be able to confuse the secondary guys were thinking it was man, guys were thinking it was zone, but they hit a big play to DJ Chark uh, that was a big first down for them on a busted coverage. And so I thought that maybe, you know, that was some of the the, the sprinkles and the chocolate chips or whatever you want to put on top of the vanilla. I think you got a little bit there where they uh, won that rep with some, with some savvy coaching and took advantage of a Seattle Seahawks secondary that was quite confused. Well, that play, I'm glad you brought that one up. Because Joe Person tweeted about it. 
Frank Reich credits offensive coordinator Thomas Brown and passing game coordinator Parks Frazier for coming up with the concept on DJ Chark's touchdown catch after seeing something the Panthers could exploit in Seattle's defense. Now, Pete Carroll was asked about that very play, and Pete Carroll said, quote, yeah, we screwed it up. We busted it. We busted the coverage. Yeah. Is that Pete Carroll not giving Carolina credit on that? <laughs> yeah, for sure. He said we busted the coverage. Not, not showing any love. Street's got no love. <laughs> oh, no big <laughs> deal. We busted it. Um, okay, so the par- the problem with going to any of these penalties on Second Take Tuesday is that there are so many to choose from, and a couple were particularly backbreaking. I'm going to go to the sequence. It's it credit chalk on a catch and run. It, it hurts. It hurts. The penalties I'm talking about is with 8.17 left to go is when all this starts, right? So 8.17 left to go in the fourth quarter. A third and four. You're down 29 to 20. Big time drive. What happens? My boy, Taylor Moten, false start. Third and nine. Okay. Third and nine. Not as nice as third and four. What the hell are you doing, Taylor? As a veteran, even in particular, right? Iki Kwanu had four false starts. Yes. They were all brutal. When you have that many, it's egregious. But Taylor Moten is a veteran, and Iki in this sequence did not have a, a penalty. So, okay, let's take the small victories. So there's one. Then you get to third and nine. Eight, 16 left on the clock. Chandler Zavala. Not a veteran. Very much not a veteran. Another false start. So now instead of going to third and four with a chance to get some momentum and bring this within a field goal game, now you're at third or third and 14. Mm-hmm. And then you incomplete the pass. Then you get to fourth and 14. And Chandler Wooten, false start. I mean, I my head was spinning around <laughs> like I was the exorcist. I, you're talking about false starts, bang, bang, bang. Now you don't have a field goal attempt because you're at the Seattle 39. It would be a long field goal attempt, but you're talking about a mid-50 yarder to the point where now you can't go for it because you lost 10 yards on false starts. You don't pick up any yardage on third down, and you even have one just for good measure to make the punt that much longer. Ridiculous, Wes. That was the most maddening sequence of the game. Plenty of maddening sequences. That was the one that made you realize, yeah, Carolina's not going to come back and win this this because they just shot themselves in the foot three times because the first two just wasn't painful enough. I mean, that was as one-on-one as it gets getting those all-star penalties like that. And I'll go back to the third quarter, man, talking about Iki Aquino getting back-to-back all-star penalties. That was the one where I'm just like, man, this is just, this is wild because as the left tackle, you look out there and I said, you can see the ball out of your peripheral and you're going up against the best pass rushes in the world. So there's no question you're going to be on high alert. Any little thing could cause you to move. So I can give you a jump every couple of games. You you might get a little jump depending on who your opponent is. But to go back to back like that was... I was just like, man, that that's not acceptable by him. Well, and this is why, yeah, we, we often split it into the glass half full or half empty approach because you could come in here, and it's why I asked the question at the beginning of yesterday's show. Do you feel better in the sense that Carolina beat themselves in a lot of areas with all the penalties? And so if you shore that up, then you're going to be competing against a team that is going to be a playoff contender in the NFC with Seattle. Or do you feel worse because 
you're shooting yourselves in the foot, as I mentioned. What, what, which one is it? Do you feel better because you think those mistakes will be fixed, or do you feel worse because you think this is going to be a theme? And that's the problem, trying to figure out how confident we should feel on this Carolina Panthers team. Uh, I just think with everything you see with the bad offensive line play, because that just was the cherry on top for the horrific play that they had pretty much all day. And so I think that you feel bad because you're like, man, when you come out and have that many procedure penalties, you know the phrase I love to say that coaches like to say a lot, they're well coached. It doesn't look like you're well coached when you're doing stuff like that, man. It reflects bad on the coaching staff. And I think that, you know, it's a negative in that the coaches are looking at that and they're just like, man, you know, not only do we look bad as far as how we play, we're being out physical, we're being beaten in every phase. Mm -hmm. But then when we come out and have multiple procedure penalties back to back to back to back, it looks like we are unprepared. I mean, you're talking about they, they, they said that they piped their noise to practice to help to combat with this. And then to go out and have multiple false start penalties, it looks like you didn't do jack bleep. Okay, so that's how at least the perception is for a coaching staff. They're like, man, we're looking we're looking wild out here. You know, and, and look, the ultimate goal is to have your team ready to play. It's easy to say it's all on coaching, but then it's like, I don't know what you would do differently. That's the coach's job is to find something to do differently in order for these players to not jump before the ball is snapped. And he was saying, yeah, it was even louder on Wednesday than it was in Lumen Field. And yet here we are with all these false starts. It was ridiculous. Do you have any more on offense before we switch over to the other side of the ball? No, we can go ahead and go to defense. All right, let's go defense. I've got one to start the second quarter. I mentioned this play yesterday, too. So there was the deep right pass to DK Metcalf for 34 yards. On this play, Dante got pushed at the top of the route. One hand. I mean... It's quite the different body comparison between DK and Dante Jackson. Big time different there. So Dante gets pushed at the top of the route. I actually think Dante does enough and has enough speed to make up enough ground at having an attempt to have a a defended pass. But then his angle goes towards the line of scrimmage, Wes. And maybe you know a little bit more about the technique than I do. But Dante, I think, catches up well enough to have an attempt. Perfectly thrown ball, you're not going to have any shot. But then he breaks towards the line of scrimmage. Gino, th- Gino throws a well enough ball. Gino. <laughs> Gino throws a well enough ball, and DK picks up 30 yards on it. I just thought there were, one, getting pushed at the top of the route. I don't know what else really Dante can do. I mean, he's small. It's a bad matchup every day of the week against DK. But then when you talk about him catching up, just a bad angle to exacerbate what happened at the beginning of this route. So 34 yards, Brian Burns has a huge sack to stop touchdown momentum. So it held him to a field goal. That was big time, but Dante Jackson allowing a 30 yard reception. That was tough. And see, that's the thing I get so tired of when people talk about Dante Jackson is they always want to talk about the speed. And there's a, there's a big thing in football is about guys that play fast. I don't care what your 40 is. Do you play fast? And Dante Jackson, to me, is a guy that does not play fast. Well, for he's all not of disciplined. Speed, That's the problem. Yeah, for all of his speed, he gets beat often by guys. Uh, then, like I said, the tackling, don't even get me started on that. So you start to look at it and say, what does this guy bring to the table uh, from a football aspect? It's just like he's supposed to be this really fast corner that can hang with guys, and that's what you want is for him to get on those matchups with players who have great speed, but he doesn't win those matchups with regularity. Then, like I said, the tackling, he misses tackles all the time. And so that's the thing with Dante Jackson. But then when he does make a play, boy, you're going to hear about it. He just talks and talks and talks. I feel and like that's you're what speaking- 
speaking to me more than the audience. No, 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 I'm not. Well, the audience is more on your side. Yeah, I'm just like he just talks. Yeah, I'm just saying for anybody because I know a lot of a lot of fans feel like that about him. Not to mention he goes and gets in stuff like the fastest man contests and stuff like that, and he's fast. about how fast he is, but it doesn't help when you're on the field and you can't guard anybody. It, it, it's it's been the mo of Dante's career. The guy is fast. He can keep up with you on a go route. If he doesn't bite on anything, he will keep up with you. And there was, I remember his second year, PFF had him as the best corner on go routes. But if you give one step inside or have a double move, (laughs) then he's going to bite on it with eyes going big, trying to intercept it. And then that's how he gets beat. All you got to do, you could be, you could run a 4-8 and you might be able to beat Dante down the field because you might have an in-breaking fake and then just go down the field. And that's the biggest problem. It's like, okay, can we teach the discipline? Can you get it? And if you do... I think he's going to be a good second corner, but it's the discipline, man. And in this game against Seattle, you saw it on full display. And so I'm going to go for the positive, talking about Brian Burns. His play was overshadowed, but he played a really nice game. He had a sack. He had some tackles for loss. But the sack that he got that you mentioned, just I like what we saw there. That's why I'm going to bring that up. Talking about adding to his bag, continuing to progress. And I talked about how I want to see him dominate tackles with more regularity. And on that big sack that he had on that second and 11, I mean, he comes out there just out athletes to tackle. Gives him a little shimmy, quick move to the inside. Good night. He gets the sack on the quarterback, man. And I just think that uh, he's in for if he can just stay healthy this year. I think I feel confident he's going to pass his sack number from last year. Brian Burns was getting after Geno Smith. There were a lot of good um, uh, dodging of the pressures from Geno in this game, I thought, from Brian Burns. He was getting away just enough to not allow Burns to have a multi-sack day. But on that play, it's the same drive I'm talking about. Really saved him from possibly scoring a touchdown. 11 yards lost on that play, too. He got back there in a hurry. I'm going to pick on Dante again. I'm sorry, man. You know? Second and 10 at Carolina's 41 at the very end of the first half. Gino pass short left to DK. It happens for 22 yards. This one, I wonder how much of this is scheme because Dante is so far off of him on this play. What happens is Dante is like 12 yards off of DK Metcalf. You can see it in real time. I call this. Just throw a slant to DK. It's exactly what they do. All right, any miss and then, well, Dante probably did. And then, but he's running, you know, across the field at that point. Oh, no, he's not. Excuse me. He cuts it back left. And then there's a couple missed tackles. So, okay. Dante Jackson, already a bad matchup because DK is just a monster of a human being. You allow him momentum to get some speed with that kind of size. Dante, already a poor tackler. Ain't no way you can bank on him making that tackle. So he misses it. DK runs for an extra few yardage. When in reality, what's a little ironic about this is DK is playing so far back on him in that situation because you don't want to get beat over the top and allow more yardage. But by allowing him to pick up speed, catching it at the seven-yard marker before he easily gets the first down, you are giving them a first down. Then he starts to run, and you give up a lot of yardage anyway. So in reality, what should happen is you should have been a lot tighter in coverage and then just hopefully that you can stick with him as he go because he's not going to go by you. He might beat you in a jump ball scenario. Either way, that one was tough. It's why I think I point these plays out first and foremost, Wes, because if J.C. Horn's not on this team, who do you have? I mean, DK, DK is a tough matchup for a lot of receivers, especially if you don't have a big physical corner like J.C. Horn. Out like there. you just said, yeah, he's just a bad matchup for a guy like Dante Jackson because, like you said, Awful. if he gives him room and then he catches it, he's going to have a really hard time tackling him. 
And then, like you said, if he's a savvy route runner, then you can get Dante off of his uh, pivot pretty quick and be able to get yourself open. So uh, it was just a tough day all the way around for him and that defense after the first half because the last thing I would bring up is really the last great stand that they had in this football game was late in the second quarter when you get the uh, when you get the big play where they get the sack and then you get the interception uh, on the next play. YGM comes through. As a, you got a YGM siding there. They get back there, get to the quarterback, and then they get the interception from uh, Deion Jones. And then after that, it was pretty much downhill for the defense as well. But uh, that was a great sequence that they had as a defense right there. Yeah, good read from Deion Jones, who you and I both did not think played very well at all in the preseason. Mm-hmm. There were people that were surprised when he was cut. I think you and I were on the same page. Like, no, I'm not surprised. Deion didn't play well. Yeah. Missing tackles, not getting physical, but did make a good read on that interception. That'll do it for Second Take Tuesday. Going back over some of the big impact plays. You can tell us how you feel on the text line, of course, as always, 704 570 9610. 704 did say, name the better number two corners, I'm guessing. Says, I'll wait. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I feel like there are a few better corners. Look, I, you're talking to somebody that has hope with Dante, but I get burned by it. I get burned just like he does on double moves <laughs> when, when I believe in Dante Jackson. That's just how it is. I want him to be good. I like the guy. I like the ability. It just happens too often. Let's go to the first Fitty Flash of the day. What you got for us, Fitty? Fitty. The Taylor Swift impact, it's real. Oh, my God. Uh, I can't escape. I can't go three (laughs) tweets in a row on my timeline without seeing something about it. Not only did Travis Kelsey's jersey sales implode by 400% over the weekend, this may be what finds Flounder Love. I don't know if you heard the Mac and Bone show this morning. Matt Harris, the host on their sister station over at Mix, he is now tasked with finding... A Swifty that knows nothing about football to pair with Flounder on a potential date. Oh, I love this idea. This is this is the best idea Bone has ever had. All right, so so how are we all helping? I don't know if we are. I would We're love not. to help. Who's helping Flounder find a Swifty for a day? Matt Harris, the host down okay. down the hall. He's gonna find one of his listeners because they play all of her like thirty seven bangers over there. <laughs> it's not gonna be hard to find. More than thirty seven, to be honest. Yes, <laughs> but. Uh, so yeah, Travis Kelsey made even more money over the weekend, and Flounder may have may have love in his life outside of me very soon. All right, do you like this idea trying to get Flounder a date out there, Wes? I love it. You gonna get mad at it if he stops hanging around as much when he's got to go on dates and do stuff like that? Oh. Are you gonna be upset about that? He's he's not that dumb. Fifteen years I've put into that friendship. I mean, he's, Man, that he's sounds dumb. a little controlling. It, it does, and it also I would <laughs> argue against it. He's dumb enough to be in that friendship for 10, 15 years. <laughs> okay, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I love you, Finny. I love you. I said it on the airwaves in front of all these people. Everything is fine. Let's take a quick break. Let's come back. And because I love you so much, Finny, we're going to talk about the Charlotte Hornets clown Steve show. Steve Clifford's <laughs> luncheon taking place today. We'll talk about it on the other side of the break at Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You guys ready to have some Charlotte Hornets conversations for the upcoming season? Fiddy, how geeked are you for this upcoming year? 
I mean, do they do they gotta play? I mean, we've got we've got a losing football team. We've got a losing soccer team. I guess we might as well just potentially add a losing basketball team to so our ledger. It, it wasn't too <laughs> long ago. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, right after they lost the first game. People were already jumping off of a cliff after Carolina lost the first game to Atlanta. The question was, who wins their first game? Carolina or Charlotte first? Who who wins a game first between those two teams? That's wild, man. And as we were looking at Carolina's schedule, if they got they went 0-2. Oh, they're going 0-6. They just lost to Seattle. If you think they're going to lose to Minnesota, which I think is absolutely a winnable game. Minnesota's 0-3, so it's a winnable game. Kirk Cousins will put some numbers up on you, though. And so we know that Minnesota did have a lot of one-score wins last year. Now they're losing those games. But if they lose to Minnesota, you're talking about a few games before you get into your easiest stretch of the season. It's Indianapolis, it's Houston, and it's Chicago all in a row. We know Houston just beat Jacksonville, but it's still... Pretty much by far your easiest stretch, three-game stretch of the season. And that's not going to be for a while. The Hornets will have tipped off their regular season by the time you get there. So it's not a crazy question. I'm just saying, I hope it doesn't happen, though. I hope the Panthers win. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be a long time because, like you said, the Hornets' season starts in October. So October twenty fifth. to be going that long without yeah. a win, that is definitely a big-time drought if you're a fan of the Panthers. All right, so regardless whether you're ready for it or not, Fiddy, Steve Clifford is hosting the coaches' luncheon today. We'll be out at the Spectrum Center for Media Day, October 2nd, and then preseason will start. Then we'll get to the regular season again, tipping off at on October 25th. The luncheon just started 15 minutes ago. I want to know on the text line, what are the most important questions that should be asked to Steve Clifford right now? I know what the number one answer is going to be, even if it probably has the least amount of impact on this upcoming season. It's going to be about Kai Jones. Yeah. Because he wildin', as the kids say, Wes, <laughs> out there on social media, he released a new rap song. Miles Bridges, not the only one. Mason Plumley, not the only one. Apparently, we are very interested in getting all of the MCs on this squad. Kai Jones, just the latest yeah. example. We know that he just put out that me and Miles Bridges be having big adventure time. That's not verbatim, but he tweeted that out. And then Miles Bridges put out there on Twitter, all he did was put out a picture of PJ Tucker angrily staring at Joel Embiid, you would think in response to Kai Jones' tweet. He's putting out a lot of music, dance, like dancing videos. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I don't know what's going on with Kai. We've moved past him calling out everybody on the team and LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and Shaquille O'Neal. Now we're just watching Kai Jones give you a bunch of emojis, talk about how he's going to win a Grammy, tweeted that out saying he's going to outer space, he's on something, man. Man. Uh, uh, Maybe high on life, but that's enough. One of the reasons I I laughed the way that I did, I mean, I'm just sitting there, and I'm just like, why our team? Why? Like, why do we have to have all these guys that rap? We have to have the most rappers in the NBA. We could have a Wu-Tang album with the rappers that we've had on this team. I mean, just all the nonsense. It's just nothing but nonsense 24-7. It's like, can we get some type of reprieve from the shenanigans? I mean, Kai Jones can't barely get on the court, but you're rapping, you're dancing, you're talking about winning Grammys. Well, just let him go. You're not Ron Artest. You're not promoting albums while still being an all-star caliber player. Okay, let's just 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 get him out of there so then he can go pursue whatever it is he wants to pursue because obviously his mind is not on basketball. 
So, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I don't even know where to start with all the silliness that's come from this team in the last year. Um, I saw Fiddy immediately hop on the keyboard as Jack typed in, and you guys thought Borrego was the problem, SMH. Is that the text that you were responding to, Fiddy? Because I saw you immediately hop on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, because I know you're a Borrego hater, and you're a part of a the hater. You know, the Clifford Companion is, is, is what his fan support club is, and... Uh, I just have to say, this team wasn't as big as a disaster and a train wreck as as it is under Clifford, as it was under Borrego. <laughs> just, and it's just the facts. And 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 they, well, well, Clifford won with 48 games. Borrego won 43. Well, they were they were a lot more fun to watch under Borrego than they have been under Cliff. Okay, yeah. I mean, I guess the first, given it, it was the first time for Steve Clifford, he did get to a postseason appearance where they went to seven games, and James Borrego's been beaten by 30 twice in the play-in tournament. But there is nuance to this, as you want to bring up constantly, Fiddy. And so Steve Clifford having all those injuries certainly hurt him. What are some other questions that could be out there? Because I know there's a Tyler Hero rumor that people have been asking about. Is that somebody that you would be interested in the Hornets pursuing? A Tyler Hero, if you have the shakeup on the roster with Miami going after Damian Lillard? Uh, no, because he has an MO of not playing that great a defense. And so I think that you're bringing in another shooter. I think the Hornets have had plenty of those, but this is not a guy that plays two ways. That's why Spolstra uh, wasn't too rushed to get him back onto the basketball court. And so, no, I don't think the Hornets should go after that. Too much money. I know the Hornets and the, the issues that they have attracting star players. And I guess I would consider Tyler Hero a, a star. Not a superstar, but uh, I don't think this is the route that you want to go. Plus, he's starting to be a bit injury-prone as well. So, no, that, that, that's not what I would be interested in for the Hornets. I was going to say, though, before we started the conversation, I would ask Coach Clifford, who has better bars uh, between Kai Jones and Miles uh, Bridges in the locker room. At the luncheon, he would not know. He's saying, wait, have they invested in bars? Right. <laughs> is there a sports bar? What street is it located on? Yeah, So, uh, but I guess I would ask him, uh, just off the top for a basketball question is how, you know, and I and I know it's really early to ask about rotations, but I guess I would say, like, you know, what's the pecking order on this team? There's so many guys uh, on this roster that, that, are, that are good players. And so it's like, what's the identity of this team? Who are the big two, the big three, things of that nature? Yeah, somebody wrote in, um, they want to know from Steve Clifford if the locker room, if Miles Bridges has the full support of the locker room. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I would say yes, though. It's a good question. I just think the answer is pretty, yeah. I mean, well, look, yeah. Well, well, wasn't it evident last year when he showed up in L.A.? Like, you know, that he has it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I feel like they kind of displayed that last year that, like, they may not accept what he what he did. but, but oh, they, they've been vocal about yeah, it. Yeah, but, like, you know, they've, they're going to support him in his journey back. You didn't think it was as easy to say that he has the full support? Yeah. There's some guys on that team that are a little bit more uh, on a, I guess, their their moral compass, so to speak, that probably get along with him just to get along in the locker room but don't really appreciate what he's done and don't think much of him because of that. I I, I don't think that every guy on the team is just like, oh, that's, that's my dog. Like, he's back. I, I don't think that. Well, I, I guess 100%, right? So if you're going full support, sure. But LaMelo... PJ, Terry, the younger guys, those guys are all very close. And they're the foundation of this team going forward. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, depending if Terry gets traded or not. So, yeah, I guess it would be a stretch because I certainly don't know if 100%. But if we're talking about the spirit of the question, does he have full support? Yeah, those guys 
are happy. They've talked to, they've said as much that they're happy. Miles Bridges is back. So I think he's got most of it, but it's still a, a good question. We'll see exactly. You know how Miles Bridges is implemented back into the roster? That's my big question, just real quickly. We're kind of going all over the place. I'll say, Miles, does he start immediately as soon as he's eligible? Is there going to be any rust that he needs to knock off after missing an entire season? And as far as Tyler Hero goes, offensively, man, you would be a dynamic shooting backcourt if you had Tyler Hero and LaMelo Ball here. He's making a lot of money. Defensively, he doesn't help you as much. You're right. It's why Eric Spolster was not 100% yeah, experiencing a big old sense of urgency to bring him back post-injury in the NBA Finals. But also, we're not an NBA Finals team. Tyler Hero probably would be starting in the backcourt. Defensively doesn't help you, but offensively did win six man of the year. And he's a good player. So it would be interesting. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit later on in the show. I know Fiddy wants to mention it twice. Let's move on. Let's go to the campus corner. Coming up next, Wes and Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ.